0: Our reading this morning is from one of my favorite poets, the Palestinian-American poet Naomi Shihab Nye, a poem called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you carefully counted and saved, all this must go. So you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating corn and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for. And then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. So many of you know, I'm still sort of resonating with that piece of music, many of you know, we've been exploring this idea of the holy tensions in our lives this whole month. And many of you have told me how deeply this sermon series has spoken or has struck a a chord in you. And today, as we unpack and explore this poem from Naomi shihab Nye, and that song that the choir just sang, I think we're pointing toward a powerful and uncomfortable truth, one that we might like to ignore, and that is this, that blessing and wounding are in a relationship with one another, that there is a holy and tender tension between those two things, wounding and blessing, kindness and sorrow. Now, one of the things that has made the sermon series, I I think, speak deeply to people, and it's been meaningful for me to participate in and listen to some of the other preachers, is that in this sermon series, part of the holy tension is about naming these tensions. It's about truth-telling, and something really liberating and freeing happens when we call out and name the tensions in our lives, the tensions that we live with. And so I want to just go back over a few of the tensions that we have called out so far in this sermon series things that we've named we've in every sermon named this great tension of life perhaps the ultimate holy tension this reality of being born and knowing that we will one day die and then asking how then shall we live how shall i love what is the purpose of my life what truly matters we've named that We've named that Kate Tucker, we've named once again that Reverend Kate Tucker is retiring in the middle of June, that she will be leaving this congregation. And there is a holy tension around saying goodbye to her, grief and joy and appreciation as we begin to say hello then to our new minister of program life, the Reverend Jen Crow. We've named that We've named in this sermon series that it can be hard to talk about race and class and skin color and privilege, and that there might be something really, really important in those conversations, as our hearts are opened to perspectives and experiences different than our own. We've named the tension around the question, what is the church in the world to do, to be a justice organization on the streets, rallying and, and, and working for justice nonstop, or a spiritually grounded community that helps us grow our souls, grow our spirits, and suggested that maybe we live in the middle of those two things. So if you've missed any of these sermons, you can catch them all online. They're they're audio podcasts. and, and you might go back and listen to them. They've been really wonderful sermons. And I do want to say a quick hello to our podcast listeners. We do this every couple of months. Because this is, this is amazing. You may not know this. We think we're this worshiping community right here of a couple hundred people. But every week, the sermon gets posted, and 200 people or so listen to these audio podcasts. And the other day, I was talking to a congregant who said, you know, he or she, I can't remember what it was, was talking to someone else who said, I first started worshiping with you when I was in Japan. Like I was listening to the audio from this sermon when I was in Japan. I listened for like five months or six months, whatever it was, and then I finally came into this building and worshiped. I think last week was the first time. So there's all these people. So I want to say hey to the podcast people. Hey, you're worshiping with us right now. Even though I'm looking at you all, I'm talking to the the podcast people. So will you join me and just say hi to the other part of our worshiping community? Hey, podcast people. because. Because th- th- this, this is an amazing thing. Like When you listen to the sermon and you realize like we're actually talking to you, the listener, you really feel like you're a part of this worshiping space. It's powerful, so thank you. Uh, and, and podcast p- listeners, email me. I want to know where you're listening from, what you're up to, what you think about, what's going on here. All right, moving back into a little more seriousness. So today I want to explore the holy tension between wounding and blessing. The tension between wanting a life that is just full of joy and happiness and success and perfection, a life that is good, a life that is without pain or challenge or struggle, and the sure reality, right, that there will be loss, there will be failures, there will be tears, there will be anger, there will be disappointment. That's a tension right there. And let me start with an observation, just a general observation. It seems to me that when something really painful happens to us as human beings, we often mistakenly believe that that experience, the feelings we have, the experience is unique to us. That no one else could possibly understand or relate to the, to the grief or the sorrow or the circumstances we're in. That somehow that is our unique burden to bear. Never before happened. And it's ours alone to carry whatever that wound is. And we often turn inward. We become silent. We, we, we lean into that in silence and don't name it or share it. There can be a sense that we're just alone with that wound and we don't want to bother other people. This is not always the case, but often, often we're in that place. Let me give you some examples of, of what I mean. Some of the sorrows we can carry, the wounds. And I'm going to mention real things, things that are near and dear to many of your hearts because these have come out of our conversations or things you've shared with me in conversations in the receiving line in other places. I want to share a few of those. I know from many of you how hard it can be to lose a parent. Even if it was a good death, even if it was a long life, there can be a sense of aloneness, of being an orphan, of being abandoned, even if the relationship was good. And if the relationship was complicated, then it's a complex loss as well. I know for many of you that the loss of a partner or a loved one can feel lonely and isolating the grief is a long and winding road, and you've told me there's this little window sort of around the lost through the memorial service where it's okay to talk about the grief, but then after that, it becomes harder and harder, even though your journey is just beginning. I know that's true for many of you here. Or I think about the challenges of parenting, parenting, which is One of the biggest challenges, I think about the particular challenges, though, some of us have, the particular challenges of being a lesbian couple or a gay couple raising children, thinking about the world your children will face that they live in, the world you face and live in, wondering if they will be bullied or made fun of for having two moms or dads. Are they safe? Are you safe? And if you're a parent of a gay or lesbian son or daughter There's a worry there, too. Will they be okay? And perhaps some of you as parents carry grief and sadness about the way that people of color are still treated in this country. The harsh fact that skin color still determines so much. And maybe like me this morning, you're thinking about Trayvon Martin, this 17-year-old African-American boy, this young man who was shot shot dead walking through a gated community in Florida where some of his family lived. Someone saw him, thought he was threatening. I think he had a hoodie sweatshirt on. He was carrying a bag of Skittles and a drink when he was... That's what he had on him when he was found dead. So perhaps some of you know in a particular way, a unique way, the grief and the rage that you feel as you think about the world and your children Children of color growing up in this world where they are more likely to be treated with suspicion or assumptions made about them. Or maybe a piece of this is that you were adopted or have adopted children, and that in itself creates a blend of joy and sorrow and loneliness on this journey that very few other people seem to understand. Maybe you wanted a family, and that wasn't possible. And maybe there's a deep hurt, a wound, and this is one of those things we don't talk about, but naming it is so important. Maybe you've lost a child or miscarried, and that is a complicated, confusing grief. Heart-wrenching. These, this is us. This is you. These are your stories. This is what's in this space, and so often these stories So much a part of us remain silent. There are lots of other things I could name. I know you're thinking of them now as you sit there. And with any of those things, the point I'm making is it can feel like we're being singled out. We're being punished by life or punished by God, suffering under a great weight. And there is no blessing to be found at all, it seems. Just a wound, just a hurt. And when that wound or hurt is fresh, it is impossible to see anything but that. We've been there, right? We've been in that place. So I hope I've moved us into the middle of this holy tension, this holy tension between wounding and blessing, and not too deeply into a holy funk or a holy de- depression, because there are real Wounds. So I hope we're not too deeply there. That is not my intention. My intention is to take us to that place because the next piece of this message is about exploring the possibility of the way that blessing and wounding dance with each other, the way they might relate to each other. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that everything that happens, there's a blessing in there, that that sort of sense of, well, whatever's happening, you just have to look really hard enough to find the blessing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if we explore the wound, the hurt, there might be something there that can change how we relate to it that might in fact be some kind of blessing. I was reminded about the connection between wounding and blessing when I read this article by a woman named Jeanette Winterson. In this article she recalls The Hebrew story, this is in in the book of Genesis, uh, in the the Hebrew scriptures, she recalls the story of Jacob wrestling with the stranger, wrestling with the angel. I know some of you know this story, I'll come back to it in just a second, but there's this story where Jacob, in Genesis, just context here, Genesis is really a book about relationships. It's all about brothers and sisters and how they relate to each other and parents, to their siblings, and how we relate to the holy and the cosmos. Genesis is about relationships, okay? Okay. So there's Jacob wrestling with this angel, with this stranger. And from that encounter, writes Winterson, there was a permanent wound, but there was also a blessing. And I'll tell more about this story in a second. There was a permanent wound, but also a blessing. And she goes on to say, I use that word on purpose, this word blessing. She reminds us that the French verb blesser, like the English bless, means to wound, in fact, the origins of the word bless in both Hebrew and Anglo-Saxon, both of those have a connection to, to blood, like uh, rituals or, or uh, initiations. There's a sense of blood, of woundedness. And Winterson goes on to say, wounding, real or symbolic, is both mark and marker. It is an opening in the self, painful but Transformative. She says, wounding, the thing that common sense and animal instinct would have us avoid, after all who wants to be wounded is also the event that brings unexpected gains. That can bring us blessing. Blessing and wounding are in a relationship together. So it makes me think of Jacob. How many of you know this story of, of Jacob? Some of you. I'll, I'll tell it. I, I, this is a little bit of an aside but as someone who grew up unitarian universalist it wasn't until seminary where i really dug into the bible and got into these stories and said these are powerful metaphorical teaching sort of stories and so sometimes i have to step uh, when i'm preaching step farther back so we're all on the same page together so just here's a little bit of the story of jacob and how this relates to blessing and wounding jacob is the son of isaac who is the son of abraham who's sort of the patriarch of three world religions And he has set out to meet his twin brother, Esau. Jacob has been on bad terms with his twin brother, Esau. He's been on really bad terms ever since he deceived his father. Jacob deceived his father and received the birthright that was meant for Esau. So there's been bad blood between these brothers for a long time. And now he is going to meet Esau and make amends of some sort. So in this story, Jacob has left with his family and his livestock and all this stuff, and he's alone. He's on the bank of a river, and he sent his family and the livestock and the servants across the river, and he's alone as night settles in, and then someone, as the story goes, someone or something begins to wrestle with him. Some people say it's an angel. Some people say it's a stranger. It might be his own inner demons, but they wrestle. They roll in the dirt They roll in the dust. It gets in their eyes, in their their ears, in their nose. Their bodies are bruised and scraped. They wrestle all night, but neither gets the advantage. The sky turns pink and orange as the morning light comes. And then the stranger, realizing he cannot defeat Jacob, the stranger touches the socket of Jacob's hip so that it is wrenched as they wrestle. The stranger wounds him. And then the stranger says, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob responds, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the stranger blesses him there and then departs. And as the sun rises, Jacob limps away because of his wounded hip. But he is a new man when he finally greets his brother with kindness And love. What do you make of this story? What do you make of this story of blessing and woundedness woven together? It's clear that Jacob wrestles with something in this story, with someone, with maybe his own unnamed stuff, perhaps with his own grief, perhaps with God, perhaps he's just wrestling in the holy tension. He is wounded in the wrestling, that is clear. His hip is wrenched, he is marked, but he emerges with a blessing from the wrestling. He emerges with a blessing from that darkness. Remember, he essentially says, I will not let you go, grief. I will not let you go, despair. I will not let you go, God, stranger, whatever it is, until I have wrestled with this thing and gotten a blessing from it. How do we make sense of that? I could suggest, I would suggest, that there is some sort of blessing that can come from our wounds, from the ways that we are marked. And this is not to say, again, this is not to say that everything happens for a reason. Rather, it is to say that the holy, the holy is present in the wrestling that we do, and that we are not alone in the wrestling or the woundedness. The spirit of life is in that holy tension, and many others around us share the exact same wrestling that we are doing. And that, in many ways, is what opens all of this up as it relates to the poem we heard and the song we heard. As we become aware of our wounds and sorrows and can see the whole of that cloth, we can understand more deeply our connections to one another, to the us of me to the fact that blessing and wounding, kindness and compassion are our deepest birthrights. I want to say that again. Blessing and wounding, kindness and sorrow, or compassion and sorrow are our deepest birthrights. Our wounds, our sorrow, that is what connects us to the human family. When we name our wounds, that signals to others that they are not alone with their wounds. And in doing that, in naming that, we take a step toward one another and toward the spirit of life. When we see each other's, when we see ourselves in each other's eyes, we offer the gentlest kind of blessing to one another as we move from loneliness to connection, from isolation to community. To say it another way, naming our wound, our grief, can create a space for blessing when we refuse to turn away from the wound and instead wrestle with it, name it, something shifts and changes. I think of these lines from the poet Mary Oliver. That time, I thought I could not go any closer to grief without dying. I went closer and did not die. Surely God had his hand in this as well as friends. Still, I was bent, and my laughter, as the poet said, was nowhere to be found. Then said my friend Daniel, brave even among lions, it's not the weight you carry, but how you carry it. Books, bricks, grief, it's all in the way you embrace it, balance it, carry it when you cannot and would not put it down. It's not the weight, friends. It's not the tension you carry, but how you carry it. How you wrestle with it. How you hold it when you cannot put it down and it will not let you go. One final story about blessing and wounding and the holy in the midst of that. This is from a man named Richard Selzer. He's an author and a doctor. This is his story from a book of stories. He says, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies. Her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, Has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight. Isolated from me, private. Who are they? I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have made who gaze and touch each other so generously. The woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods, is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful of my presence, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth And I'm so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. I remember that the gods appeared in ancient Greece as mortals, and I hold my breath and let the wonder in. The holy tension of blessing and wounding. The holy tension when we think we cannot go any closer to grief or longing, and we go closer still. And there we find, to our great surprise, an embrace, a kindness, a blessing... A love beyond words that marks us and changes us forever. And there we join the human family. May it be so. And amen.